This is part two of a three-part series of bonus content meant as an update to season six, Where is Rick Atwood? If you haven't listened to part one of the bonus content, I suggest you go back and do that before listening to this episode. Gail Rushlow is called to the stand because she was the clerk on duty at the Gateway Motel in 1983 when Rick Atwood went missing. Rick Stranzan was found in that motel parking lot. She was testifying via Zoom, so you will be hearing a bit of echo in her testimony. You mentioned that you checked guests in? Yes. What was that process? How did you check somebody in? We put a registration card up on the counter and they filled it out and then we collected their money and gave them a room number. Thank you. So the guests filled out at least part of that card? Yes. Uh, For the record, uh, Ms. Rushlow has copies of what I'm going to show her in front of her. Okay. So. Ms. Rushlow, you have some forms with you today, correct? Correct. Uh, I'd like you to look at a registration card. It's part of what people have marked as exhibit number six. It's for room number 20, and it says Mike Roberts Jr. on it. Okay. Do you have that? Yes, I do. All right. Is this the kind of registration card that you were talking about? Yes. Uh, could you go through this card and tell me what information it reflects? It's their name, their address, and what they drove. Okay, and yeah. is that the, I'm sorry, is that the part that the, the guest would fill out? Yes. Okay. Is there a part that um, somebody at the motel would fill out? Yes. And Underneath what... The- um, where it says make a car, that there's a date and how much the rate was, the taxes and everything, and the room number on the side and the key deposit. And it also, if you turn it uh, 90 degrees, there's a name and it says, and there are two initials there. Do you see what I'm talking about where it says LD? That's long distance. Okay, what does that mean? That they made long distance call. Okay, Uh, and how would you know that? The operator would call us back with the number they called and how much it was. Okay. And can you tell from this card what room they were assigned? Room 20. Now, part of your job there was uh, taking, giving those cards, taking those cards, and filing those cards. Is that fair to say? Yes. And where were the cards kept? Behind the desk, there was like a little counter thing where you would slide the card in to the room number. And those cards were kept in the ordinary course of business at Gateway Motel? Yes. Okay. So they checked out. Now, did, can you tell, looking at this card, if you checked this person in? Yes, I did. You did. And how can you tell that? Because of the, my handwriting. Okay. 
so how did you know who how did you know when a room made a long distance call? Because the operator would call and let us know what time they made the call and for how many minutes and then we would write it down. Okay, thank you. Now we will go to the defense on cross. Uh, now down here on the registration card it says make a car trans am and number in party two you did you say you did not fill that out no i didn't okay and where it says car license uh and state that's not filled out is that unusual that that's not filled out yes some people would sign in like that or they would leave it blank okay so it wasn't your policy to require the license number and the state on the vehicle or nope. was it the policy and you just didn't do it all the time not that i recall okay so it may have been the policy of the hotel but you don't know correct now uh there's a date uh, on the uh, card or on, on the uh exhibit item 2 10 18 detective miller uh, is that the, about the time when you think you turned this card over to someone? See on the handwritten note there? I, I don't recall. Well, up on the top of the right, uh, do you have uh, on your 65-1511-83? Yes. Okay. Then down below that, there's a date. You see that? In 1883. Yeah, and Detective slash Sergeant Miller, Gateway Motel. Uh, do you recall giving the card to the detective that day? I don't recall. All right. Now let's talk about the other item, uh, and that's the long distance telephone traffic sheet. Uh, and you said that you thought there were uh, two calls to a number from two different numbers from room 20 yes okay and, and I'm I, I, I see the column there where it says room number uh, but where is the actual room number written on the left hand side where it says voucher number yes all right, so that's a 20. So that indicates that those two calls you think came from room 20? Correct. All right, it says name of party call, and you've got a 10 and a 1. What's what's that mean, if anything? See where I'm talking? No. All right, well, you, you look on the voucher number uh, about uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, the eighth one down, look on the left-hand side, there's a 20, and then on the ninth one down, there's a 20. You see that? Yes. All right, it says 852. What's that? The time they placed the call and the one zero is for 10 minutes. All right, so those numbers signify how long the call was. Correct. Okay, and how do you know it was 10 minutes or one minute? From the operator? Yes. And... Uh, the way that the room was paid for was by cash? Correct. There's no uh, 
credit card or any other records of, of who rented the room besides this a registration card, is that correct? Correct. Is it fair to say that the where the makeup car is there, since the uh, party who checked in wrote that down, you don't actually uh, truly know whether it was a Trans Am or not, is that fair to say? I don't recall. Okay. Do you know an individual uh, named uh, Charles Brown? No. You know an individual named Roy Snell? No. You know an individual named Rick Atwood? No. Do you know an individual named Mike Roberts? No. Thank you. Judge, I have uh, no more questions for Ms. Uh, Rushville. Thank you. Council, any other questions? Yes, sir. Thank you. Ms. Rushlow, this will be very quick. Uh, the other attorney asked you uh, a question reading from a report of Detective Miller. Detective Miller wrote that you didn't recall seeing somebody, but he asked you if you didn't see somebody. Do you know the difference between whether you remember and whether you did or did not? Yes, I do. Um, would it be more accurate to say that you told the detective you didn't recall? I don't remember this way back in 83 at all. So you don't remember talking to Detective Miller in 1983 at all? No. Okay, thank you. Nothing else, Your Honor. One Ms. Rushlow, uh, actually, when you talk to Detective Lisa, I'm looking at his report. You don't recall uh, the race or age of uh, the parties who read in the room, correct? Correct. Thank you. I just have one question out of curiosity. How does the operator know what room is calling? What I can recall back then is the operator would ask when they make long distance phone call, what room number they're from. Thank you. Any other questions, counsel? No, Your Honor. All right. No, thank you, Judge. Thank you, Ms. Rushlow. Thank you, Ms. Rushlow. Uh, this witness can maybe excuse, yes? Yes. Next up is the record driver that towed Rick's Trans Am from the Gateway Motel parking lot. Watch your step. I'll swear you in before you sit down. Raise your right hand for me. Do you solemnly swear, oath, or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. I do. Thank you, sir. You may have a seat. You may take your mask off or leave it on as you choose. <clears throat> Can you tell me your name? Matt Vanto. Can you spell your first and last name? M A T T H E W V A N T O. V A N T O. Z. I just thought. The mask prevents me from hearing well. I don't know. Um, sir, we've been uh, sequestering witnesses, albeit virtually. Uh, have you watched any of the proceedings on uh, the live YouTube channel either today or yesterday? No. Thank you, sir. You may proceed. Sir. Thanks, Judge. Um, can you tell us your name, please? Matt Zanto. Mr. Zanto, how old are you today? 63. 
uh, I want to take you back in time if I can to uh, 1983. In August of 1983, do you remember where you were working? Uh, yeah, East Beltline Directing. And uh, did uh, Mr. John Vanderwoody own that business back then? He did. Okay, and what kind of things did you do for Mr. Uh, Vanderwoody that uh, made him feel obligated to pay you? Fix cars, pump gas, and drive record. Okay. How old were you back then? Mid-20s. Okay. Uh, do you remember, uh, I, specifically on uh, August uh, 11th, 1983, if you were uh, if you were uh, tasked to go to the Gateway Motel? I was. Okay. Uh, and uh, when you went down there, were you, uh, what kind of vehicle were you in? Tow truck. Okay. And uh, were you looking to uh, service a vehicle when you got there? No. Okay, what were you looking to do? Tow it. Okay. And uh, what kind of vehicle were you looking for? Uh, I believe it was a Firebird. Um, the, uh, um, let me if I can. Yeah, oh yeah, thanks. I, there you go. Thank you, Judge. You're welcome. Um, I'm gonna show you Exhibit number three there. Is it, does that look like the kind of vehicle you might have towed that day? Yes, it does. Okay, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I know you mentioned Firebird. I was trying to remember who made Firebird. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, the Trans Am, uh, similar vehicle, obviously, correct? It's a model of the Firebird. Okay. Um, uh, there you go. Um, does that look like the vehicle you towed that day? To the best of my recollection. Okay. And I'll show you exhibit number two, also that photograph of the back of the same vehicle. Uh, again, does that look like the kind of vehicle you towed that day? Uh, yes. All right. Now, um, uh, you say you got down there. Where was it parked at the gateway? I don't remember exactly where in the hotel parking lot it was parked. Okay. Um, did the Was the owner there to meet you? No. Okay. Uh, did you try to locate the owner? Honk the horn to see if anybody came out. Okay. Um, uh, anybody come to respond? Uh, did no. anybody come out? Already. Um, and tell us, if you will, uh, uh, if you have any memory of the outside of the car. I mean, was it clean or dirty? I remember that it looked like it had been driven off-road through a field or at least a dirt road. Okay. Um, did you uh, get the vehicle and take it back to the service station there, Mr. Vanderwoody's uh, business? I did. Okay. Did you do any work to it after it arrived back there? I don't remember. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Mr. Zanto. Nothing else, Judge. Uh, Mr. Prysak. Thank you, Judge. Mr. Zanto, my name is Rick Prysak. I'm represent Mr. Snell here uh -huh. uh, and uh, I'll try to uh, just ask you a couple questions if you can't hear me or don't understand let me know and I'll uh, I'll try to speak up right. dialing up the volume on your hearing yes, I, am. <laughs> I got it too I got an app on my phone though I can I can do it I do too okay good we're all high tech mm -hmm. And Mr. Zanto, uh, when you worked over there, how long did you work there for uh, Mr. Vanderwood? Uh, a total of about five or six years. Okay. And uh, went just out of high school, or were you still in high school? I was, no, I was out of school. Out of school. Uh, when you would go uh, and uh, pick up a tow, was there any paperwork you filled out? You would write down your mileage. 
So you know how far you drove from point A to point B. Anything else to identify? Type of car, address, where you pick yeah. it up. And what would happen to that paperwork? Would you turn it in? Or? Yeah, I got turned in. Okay. And turned into the to the to, uh, to the East Beltline Towing Office. Yes. And did you after you towed it? And uh, you don't remember whether you worked on it or not. Mr. Vanderwood sold us some people. Somebody worked on it. He did a little bit. Then it got parked around on the side. Then it was towed again. Did you tow it again? I don't believe so. It's possible, but I don't. I don't remember doing it. Okay, only the one tow. Yeah. And when you got there, you said what to the hotel and honked the horn, but nobody came out. Right. And nobody came out at all from the office or anything. Not that I recall. Remember what time it was? It was daytime. Daytime. Okay. So you hook it up, tow it away, and that's pretty much your involvement. That's about it. Thank you. Uh, sir, were there keys in the vehicle? Um, I believe they were. Okay. And do you know if anyone ever called to see what was wrong with their car or if you had fixed it or if it was ready? Uh, I, I did not have any conversation with anybody. All right. Any other quest questions? Council? No, thank you, Judge. No, thank you. Mr. May this witness be excused? Yeah. Yes, Judge. Thank you, sir. You may be excused from your subpoena. You may watch the proceedings or continue on your day. All righty. Thank, thank you. you. Next up, Glenn Moore, the Michigan State Police forensic scientist. And your first name? Glenn, G-L-E-N-N. Thank you, sir. We've been uh, sequestering witnesses, and that's been uh, a virtual sequester, sequester as well. Have you watched any of the proceedings on our live YouTube channel either today or yesterday? No. Thank you, sir. You may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Can you see? I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. That's a good spot. Okay. Hello, Mr. Moore. Thank you. Uh, are you currently employed? No, sir. Uh, what did you retire from? Michigan State Police Forensic Science Laboratory. What did you do there? I was assigned, worked for the State Police, started out with the Health Department, <clears throat> uh, merged with the State Police in 1972 or so, and I was a forensic scientist. My duties were trace evidence and serology. Uh, in the laboratory, and we also participated in crime scene investigation, collection of evidence, and then allocation of that evidence to the areas in the laboratory that they were applicable to. Okay, thank you. How long were you employed as a forensic scientist? 39 years. Okay. Now, what uh, training or education did you receive? to become a forensic scientist? I have a bachelor's of applied arts and science from Central Michigan University with a major in biology and a minor in chemistry. And did you get any training for that job outside of your schooling? Outside of the schooling to get the job? No, sir. After employed, numerous uh, training uh, programs that I attended and successfully completed. and have worked in the field for those many years. Could you give me an estimate of the number of programs or number of hours you spent training? It would number in the hundreds of hours of additional training okay. throughout the course of my employment. All right. Were you employed as a forensic scientist in October of 1983? Yes, sir. 
And at that time, did you have occasion to examine a dark brown Trans Am? Yes, sir. Yeah, I approach the bench. Going to show you what's been marked as and admitted as people's number two and three. If you could take a look at those pictures and tell me when you're done. Both exhibits, people's number two and number three, are photographs of a maroon-colored uh, Trans Am vehicle that uh, I was requested to assist in searching that vehicle for the presence of any possible evidence for further analysis. Do you, rec do you recognize those specific pictures for any reason? I do, but it's <clears throat> based on a refreshment of my memory. Uh, I received a CD, which I have here in court today, uh, showing the photographs that were taken at the time of the search and <clears throat> listing the evidence that was collected. Are you saying that you took those pictures? I did, yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Take those back from you. Actually, if you could just hand those to the judge, I'd very much appreciate thank it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So you examined that Trans Am? Yes, sir. And uh, where did you conduct your examination? In the garage at the uh, Rockford Post. The MS MSP Rockford Post. Thank you. Uh, and did you examine the outside of the vehicle? Yes, sir. What, if anything, did you notice about the outside of the vehicle? Uh, extremely dirty. Can you describe? Um, dust and dirt <clears throat> over the whole exterior of the vehicle. Thank you. And did you continue your examination inside the vehicle? Yes, sir. In, inside the vehicle as well as inside the trunk of that vehicle. All right. Uh, let's start with the cabin of the vehicle. Uh, did you make any general observations when you opened it up? Generally, it was very dirty again. A lot of dusty soil material on the windshield of the vehicle, uh, a lot of debris in the vehicle and with further searching, located some red-brown stains uh, on the driver's side of the vehicle. Uh, All right. Between the driver's vehicle and the <clears throat> center council area, which also extended into the back seat of the vehicle behind the driver's seat. Okay. I'm gonna approach you again. Uh, <coughs> what's been marked as people's 16 through 21. You can take a look at these pictures. Just let me know when you're done looking at them. Yes, sir. All right. Hang on to those for a moment, if you don't mind. Do you recognize those pictures? 
Yes, sir, again, but it's uh, helped with the assistance of having a CD, which also displayed the pictures that are here in front of me, plus additional pictures taken of the vehicle at the time of the crime scene search. Okay, so again, are you saying that you took those? Yes, sir. Okay, and you took those at the time of your examination? Yes, sir. Would you say that those accurately reflect what you saw that day? Yes, sir. Uh, the people would move to admit what's been marked um, as, I'm sorry, I think 16 through 21. I think that's what you said. The only thing I, I would uh, ask, if I may, uh, is I know he said they were taken at the time he did his examination, but do we know where? Did, did you ask him where? I can ask that. Uh, did you take those inside the Rockford garage? Yes, sir. No objection. Thank you. The court, the court would admit uh, exhibit 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Thank you, Your Honor. And I will have these published to the court in just a bit. All right. Um, I was going to have you just focus on number 16 at first. What does that picture depict? The driver's side steering wheel and a portion of the front windshield and then the console area below the instrument cluster. Why did you take that picture? What information were you hoping uh, to record? Of all the <coughs> soiled areas in that area and <coughs> almost uh, a spattering of debris or possibly a liquid of some type. On what was, what if anything was noteworthy about that? Why did you choose to record that? Uh, just to document the interior of the vehicle. Okay, thank you. If you could hand that up to the judge, please. Thank you, sir. Now I'm going to show you again. Uh, it's been admitted as people 17. What does that picture depict? This picture depicts the back side of the driver's seat and the uh, the back of the seat is tipped forward towards the windshield and it was meant to depict the red round staining that is at the back edge of the driver's seat. It also reflects some red brown staining on the floor area behind the driver's seat that uh, is in the crease where the center council area uh, comes into the back seat and then the footwell in the back seat, the red brown staining that was in that area. Uh, did you take any samples of those areas of red brown staining? Yes, I did. Why did you take samples? That the stains appeared to me to be potentially a blood stain. Uh, I also did some spot tests at the scene and they gave a positive reaction using the density test indicating the presence of blood. Okay. Blood generally? Human blood? Blood generally. Okay. Uh, and do you, when you collected samples from those areas, did you, uh, what did you do with those samples? I packaged them in a folded paper packet and then placed them in a coin envelope, a small metal envelope, 
labeled them as to their origin and retained them for further analysis at the laboratory. Was that uh, the proper procedure as you were taught? Yes. Uh, do you recall what designation you gave the samples from those areas? I'd have to look at my report to see that. If you looked at your, uh, Mr. Preissack. Look, looking at your report would refresh your recollection? Yes, it would. Look at that. Do you recognize what I've handed you? Yes, I do. This is uh, the hand. Thank you. The handwritten notes that I took at the time of the scene investigation, that examination of the transam. Okay. And do those notes refresh your recollection as to what designation you gave your samples? Yes, sir, they do. Oh, could you list, could you go through and tell the court uh, the designation and what the sample was? I think there are nine items, is that right? Yes. Not just specifically what? relevant to this photograph? Let's or? keep it to that photograph for right now. Okay. L3, you know, this is this is going to be at least two areas on this photograph that I collected samples from. Okay. Uh, L3, red-brown stains noted on the back middle surface. Oh, no. I'm going to have to correct that. That's the air scoop, which is in the trunk. So not L3. You take your time and look at it. <clears throat> L4, red-brown stain noted on the carpet removed from the driver's side rear floor. That would indicate it, in the photograph, uh, people proposed exhibit number 17, the red-brown staining that is along the, the drive shaft tunnel on the carpet behind the driver's seat. Um, showing five. You, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. Uh, if you could look at 19, people's 19, is that also another picture of that area? Yes, there it is. Okay. What was the next item from 17 that you sampled from? L6. So red brown stains removed from the back edge of the driver's seat. And that is the area of red-brown staining in People's Proposed Exhibit Number 17 that is in the crease where the fabric of the seat meets the plastic support. And is that also reflected here in People's 18? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. Uh, you mentioned previously, before you corrected yourself, I, uh, a specimen you collected from an air scoop? Yes, sir, that's correct. Uh, tell me about that. Where was the air scoop? The air scoop was in the trunk of the vehicle. Okay. I'm going to show you what's marked as people's 20. Does picture number 20 reflect that? Yes, sir. That is the air scoop 
that was in the trunk of the vehicle. Can you indicate for us on that picture, either with your finger, hold it up and use your finger, or a pen or something, what area you're talking about? On the air scoop, on the top right, left-hand side of the scoop, there's some red-brown staining on the top edge of that air scoop, which I collected the sample from. Okay. Did you, um, turning back to your notes, uh, that you used to refresh your recollection, did you take any other samples from inside the car? L2, red-brown stains located on the top center area of the trunk. have a quick question can you go back the air scoop is when you say air scoop you're speaking of the accessory part that would have been on the hood of the vehicle yes and that's, that's also depicted in one of the photographs that I took at the scene All right. where there was no air scoop covering that hole that's in the hood of the okay. vehicle I just want to make sure all right air scoop had been removed and was in the truck there was an air scoop in the trunk. There was an air scoop missing from the, the hood of the vehicle. I understand. You're a scientist. I totally get it. Um, any other? Uh, L5. Thank you. Uh, red brown stains removed from, the, from under the driver's seat. And those were red-brown stains, which I physically removed. And I do not have a photograph uh, of those stains. My error at the time that I was at the scene, it just didn't. You forgot. Get a picture. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else? Red-brown L6, red-brown stains removed from the back edge of the driver's seat, and that is in the crease area. That's depicted in uh, People's Proposed Exhibit Number 17. Thank you. Any others? No, those were the L1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Okay. Were the red brown stains that were removed for further analysis. Did you take any samples that are indicate? Do you remember taking any samples that weren't red brown stains on that day? Yes, sir. What did you take? Again, referring to uh, the laboratory crime scene report, L7, a soil sample removed from under the passenger side rear tire area. That would be on the exterior of the vehicle. L8, soil sample removed from around the trunk hinge and the seal to the trunk. L9, a soil sample removed from the driver's side dash back seat floor and the driver's floor and the purpose of having collected those items was in the chance that a scene would have been located that we'd collect soil samples from that additional scene to be compared to those soil samples recovered from the vehicle okay thank you i'm gonna going to approach with one other picture been marked and admitted as People's 21. What does that picture depict? People's 
photograph exhibit number 21 uh, depicts a portion of the driver's seat and then like that arm rest console usually there's like a glove box on the top of that console the red brown stains that are located on the bottom edge of that console area so looking in from the driver's door and on an upward angle looking down to be able to see that red brown stain area on that console okay now did you take a sample of that red brown stain I don't see that I collected a sample from that particular area. I did collect red brown crust from the carpet uh, area. Okay. Uh, based on your examination, uh, even though you didn't take a sample of that area, does it look similar to the other areas you sampled? It looks characteristic of a dried blood stain. Okay. Uh, so you took all of these samples uh, in looking and examining at this, and it, I'm sorry, let me start over. Examining those stains, did they look, they were obviously dried. Was Did you see any indication that they had been cleaned up or altered in any way? I, I guess I would object to that. I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what kind of foundation could possibly, whether he... I'll lay a foundation. Yeah. Had you examined areas with blood stains before, uh, before to, sorry, frog in my throat. <clears throat> Pardon me, Your Honor. That's okay. <coughs> Tickle. Just, just a tickle. Just a tickle. <clears throat> you had mentioned you'd work in, worked in serology before. That's correct, sir. <clears throat> had you had occasion to, exam, to examine blood stains before? Yes, sir. No. Okay. Um, Based on your prior experience examining blood stains, could you draw any conclusion, aside from the fact that they were dried, about the state of the stains that you saw in the Trans Am on that day? They do not appear to be diluted. Okay. That would be included in, in the fact that some liquid material was placed on them or made an attempt to remove them, physically remove them. Okay. Compared, using your prior experience in examining blood stains, was what you saw consistent with a lot of blood or a little of blood or something in between? 
in, in looking at uh, people's proposed exhibit number 17, it, there's a sufficient amount of blood that ran from under the driver's seat in that drive shaft tunnel on the bottom edge of the carpet that actually ran to the back edge and pooled in that corner of that rear passenger seat behind the driver's seat on the floor. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you? That there was liquid blood and a sufficient amount of blood there to run towards that back area of the seat and then it was dry, red brown staining. So I as a layman would call that a lot of blood, is that fair to say? You may call that a lot of blood. I would not necessarily say that is a lot of blood. I mean, cases where we're going to call find a lot of blood, where somebody has an injury that his blood that's pooled and ran several feet away from its origin. Okay. So would it be fair to say that's not a paper cut amount of blood? That is correct, sir. It is not consistent with a paper cut. Okay. Uh, a more significant injury, you would say? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, when you collected the samples, before you mentioned that you had run some tests uh, and that those tests reflected the presence of blood, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, did you run any other tests? Uh, once the samples were back in the laboratory, I did conduct further testing on those red-brown stained areas. What were you looking for? Uh, to make a determination whether or not the stains were human origin or not. Were you able to make that determination? Yes, sir. And what was your result? If I could refer to my report. There's no objection. You can refresh your recollection if the court allows. That's fine. You don't have any objection, Mr. Parker? Oh, no. Serological test showed the presence of human blood on items L1, L3, L4, L5, and L6. Were there any items that did not reflect the human blood? Item L2. And chemical test did not show the presence of human blood on L2. Do you know why? No, sir. Okay. Um, did it reflect the presence of a kind of blood that wasn't human? No, sir. In that sample, even though it did not show the presence of human blood, all of the samples were placed in frozen storage for possible further analysis. Okay. So is it possible, can you explain what would cause L2 to not have a positive result? The test for human blood tests for the presence of the serum portion of the blood, not the red cells. That's what you see in the redness is the red cells uh, in the blood. But the serum portion, if, if you've bled or have the occasion to see where someone's bled a lot, 
uh, in a given location. There will be a liquid serum-y looking, glossy, semi-clear liquid that separates from the blood stain, and that is the portion of the blood sample that gives me the positive test for human blood. What test did you use? I used uh, anti-human anti-serum, which calls for the dilution of a portion of that blood stain, and then you layer in that diluted uh, sample uh, from the blood stain on top of an anti-human anti-serum, and the formation of a white precipitin band at the interface of those two liquids is a positive test for the presence of human blood. Now that's a technology at that time. Was that consistent with the best technology at the time? That is correct. Okay. Uh, can you explain your result in L2, where you did not detect the presence of human blood using that test? It was either non-human in origin, or I did not have a sufficient amount of the serum uh, diluted out into the sample I collected for testing. Okay, thank you. I don't use all of the sample uh, at, at any given time to consume it on a human blood test. Uh, so when you were finished? Minimal amount so that there's more of the sample for further identification of the blood type. When you were finished with testing the samples that you took, there was sufficient material to conduct additional tests in the future? Yes, sir. And the next sentence of the paragraph that is uh, depicting the results, uh, I did determine that items L1, L5, and L6 showed the presence of type A blood. So you were able to narrow it down to not just human, but a blood type? Correct, sir. And it was type A. After you were finished testing the samples, what did you do with them? The remaining sample was uh, placed in frozen storage for possible further enzyme testing. And now bring us up to today, the possibility of DNA analysis on those samples. Thank you. After you conducted all of your analysis, did you draw any general conclusions about after your examination? Uh, the general conclusions are consistent with what I just read. Uh, the first paragraph, whether they were human or non-human in origin, and then the second uh, part of that paragraph, uh, shows the presence of type A blood on L1, L5, and L6. Okay, thank you very much. When it was the defendant's turn, his lawyer spent some time going over blood typing specific to Rick Atwood and his parents, and then he focused on a couple of specific blood stains in the Trans Am. Uh, according to your report, and, and let's talk a little bit about blood before we talk specifically about your report, um, and, I, and I'm I'm not trying to be facetious here, but you're familiar with the science of blood spatter and blood stain, blood pattern, they call it, analysis? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, these stains that you collected, and again, the different types, correct me if I'm wrong, of, of uh, pattern, blood pattern, there's spatter, 
Right. That's correct, sir. Called splash. Spatter pattern, yes. Spatter pattern, splash pattern. Yeah. Drift pattern. Yeah. The, 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 the letting of blood from a source due to an impact. Yeah. Uh, drip. Yeah, okay. Flow, you talked about flow. That, the gravity flow of blood does not represent an impact spatter pattern. Correct. But you talked about flow of, of the of one stain, I think it was the one from under the driver's seat uh, and toward the back of the seat. And I think counsel asked you about how you thought maybe it got there. I think you said it came from front to back. Yes. You said? Okay. In my opinion, that's correct, sir. And when he asked you about how much blood there was, uh, first of all, let's talk about the stain itself. Did you, you took a picture of the actual stain? Yes, sir. Can you tell me, I'll show you the photographs, which, which one was the stain from the, under the seat? Exhibit 17 and 18 okay. uh, depict the red-brown stains that were along the seat material as it connected to the, the, the material that anchors it to the seat driver's side, and it's, it's in the crease on the seat. It's right, these red-brown stains that are in, in this area right here. All right. That's a, a exhibit number 18 is a little bit closer view. So it's in of, that crease. Yes, the red-brown stains in that crease. The previous exhibit, number 17, also shows the red-brown staining that's in the back, the, Footwell in the back seat. Mm -hmm. People's exhibit number 19 is a close-up, a little closer view of mm -hmm. that red-brown staining that's on the floor. So that would be actually in the floor in the back seat behind the driver's seat. That's correct, sir. And can you tell us how long that is? I, I, sometimes they put down a little measurement thing when they take photographs. Do you recall how long that stain was? I could not be specific. Right. It would be the length from the back of the seat to where the okay. but you don't main know. housing. I don't want you to guess. I'm not going to guess it because right. there's not a ruler there. Now, but that's where the area is. Can you tell us uh, whether or not that's uh, a blood flow or a drop? Uh, what do you? In my opinion, it's the flow of blood from an originating source. Okay. Forward on that driver's seat, flowing back towards the back. And you said undiluted. You said it was undiluted. Yes, that's correct, sir. Thank you, Mr. Moore. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Any other questions for Mr. Moore? I have no reader.
Mr. Moore, the only question I had is you said that there was one sample that you took that you didn't have a picture of. Correct. That's from the red brown staining under the driver's seat. Okay. So do you know if that was where the blood was running from that's in the back of the driver's seat, you know, in the rear? Or is it your belief that that came from the seat, or could you not tell that? I wouldn't be able to really say. The only thing I can say is that there was blood deposited on the right side of the driver's seat against that council area, and a pretty good amount that was in that area. That ran down that carpeted area and then under and to the back of the driver's seat and out onto the floor on the driver's side in the back seat. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? No, Your Honor. Thank you, sir. May this witness be excused? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Moore. You may be excused and leave the courthouse and watch on YouTube if you wish or continue about your retirement. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Can you hand me those exhibits before you step down? Mr. Moore? Yes, sir. Judge, all those exhibits, please. Sorry, if you didn't hear. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Moore. Be safe. And, Your Honor, we ran ahead of schedule today, so that's our last witness that we have scheduled for this afternoon. All right. Any other matters we need to take up? I guess tomorrow morning. Oh, no, we're tomorrow afternoon, correct? Correct. All right. I think we're scheduled to start at 115. Is that right? That's what I have. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Snell has medical procedures in the morning, so 115 is what I want to say. They adjourned for the day to return the next afternoon, which was scheduled as a short half-day of proceedings. Day three began as usual. From the viewer's perspective of the live stream video, Defendant Roy Snell, Jr. is seen on the bottom left of the screen with his back to the camera. He wears prison orange garb. During certain testimony, he shakes a paper that he's been writing notes on at his lawyer to get his attention. Sometimes you can hear the chains on his handcuffs rattle as he fusses with them. Other times, they clang loudly against the table as he tries to get his lawyer's attention. This day was to be a half day of testimony beginning with Detective Sergeant Rios, but as you'll see, it soon hit a snag. I want to note that, as with some of the other audio streamed from YouTube, you can hear a bit of feedback echo or delayed audio between the testimony. All right. Anything preliminary? Uh, I should advise anyone uh, left on the witness list for the prosecutor's office that we are in a sequestration order, which means that if you are uh, expected to testify uh, at today's hearing or uh, were, wit were uh, subpoenaed to testify at any of these proceedings, unless you have been previously testified and excused, you may not watch these proceedings until after you testify. What that means is that you may not speak to anyone uh, about their testimony or uh, watch the live YouTube channel until after you have testified. If you do so uh, and then come in to testify, it jeopardizes uh, your ability to testify in this matter. Uh, anything else for the record, Mr. Stay? No, thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Prysock? <clears throat> One thing I would say for the record, judges, Mr. Snell uh, just informed me he passed out this morning uh, after he got back from the hospital. Not feeling that great, so at some point, 
you may have uh, maybe take a quick. Uh, oh, here we go. All right. It was it was at the dialysis space day. The front my floor is where I came here, so I swear my blood pressure shot up. Right. It's gonna take me to the hospital. They found some floors in I feel real weak. All right, Mr. Snell, I, I did have them bring uh, the waste basket again for you today. I know you've had some nausea on the other days as well. If you need to take a break at any point, just tell uh, Mr. Prysak or uh, the security guard, and we will make accommodations uh, for you. Okay, sir? Okay, just let me know. Try to get through it, all right? Counselor, you're going to call your first witness. I don't feel good. I feel sick. I don't know what to Mr. Snell, yes. uh, you have felt sick on the other two days as yeah, well. Yeah, but today I had dialysis. Just let the judge finish what she's saying. Don't, don't uh, what I would, she won't interrupt you, don't interrupt her. I know you've had dialysis, and I know this is uh, difficult for you anyway on top of your health issues. What I would suggest, Mr. Snell, is that we uh, attempt to proceed today. Uh, and if at any point you feel you just cannot go on, then we'll take a break and reassess. But I would like to at least attempt to finish this uh, today uh, so that uh, we can move on to the next uh, step uh, that we have. Okay, sir? I'm uh, okay because I don't really want to feel good. feel that fast now, right now. So, I don't care. Okay. Let's give it a try. All right. Can I get you some water, Mr. Snow? Would that help? No, I can't eat or drink anything. I'll throw up. All right. Sick. It took too much fluid on. I'm weak. It's not going to take us too long. You left the dialysis place? Right. Okay. An hour later. Uh, not what I was supposed to be. All right, sir. Uh, the court is uh, convinced that if you had a, a medical issue that needed immediate, uh, if you had a medical condition that needed continued observation or immediate assistance, they would have either taken you to the hospital, as you indicated they thought, or they would have kept you longer at dialysis. Mr. Snow, I've been very patient with you interrupting me, and I don't appreciate it. We are trying to do these matters as efficiently as we can. And when you speak over me, we cannot do that. You have to wait until I'm done speaking if you wish to make a statement, okay? I don't feel good. I understand that. You have not felt good since we started the proceedings. Because I've got medical issues. I, I understand that. You've also had medical issues since we started the proceedings. Right. All right. What I'm going to do is have the prosecutor call their first witness. If it becomes apparent that you cannot participate in the proceedings, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Mr. Stay? Call Detective Sergeant Scott Rios. Do you solemnly swear, oath, or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God? I do. Thank you, sir. You may have a seat. You may take your mask off if you wish. Could you please state your name for the record, spelling your first and last name? Scott Rios, S-C-O-T-T-R-I-O-S. -T -T and sir, what do you do for a living? I'm a detective currently with the New Haven County Sheriff's Office. And how long have you been employed with the Sheriff's Office? Uh, for three years now. 
uh, in the period of time preceding that, uh, work, did you work somewhere else? I did. I did 29 years with the Michigan State Police, uh, starting out as a trooper in Ypsilanti, uh, then to Detroit, uh, transferring to the Lakeview Post, so I was going to see the promotion to bring up, uh, and then uh, to Nuego, where eventually I became a detective sergeant. And at some point during your time with the Michigan State Police, did you become aware of an investigation regarding the uh, uh, missing person of Richard Atwood? I did. And when did that occur? I started reading the complaint in uh, 2003 when I first became a detective. And for a period of time, you worked uh, alongside Detective Miller, is that correct? That is correct, sir. And he made sort of the statement about passing this on to you in a way in 2004. Uh, could you explain uh, how that process worked? In 2004, Detective Miller was still there. So he and I worked on it together. Um, I assumed the role of a lead investigator at some point. Um, as I became more active and Detective Miller had other cases as well. And as part of the investigation uh, that you did, did you follow up on some things uh, that were being investigated at the time? I did. I want to talk briefly about uh, the phone calls that we now have in evidence made from the Gateway Motel. Are you aware of, of that part of the investigation? I am, sir. And. I'm going to show you People's Proposed Exhibit 25. And it's three separate pages. Do you recognize this document? Yes, sir, I do. It's a photocopy of the front of the Michigan Bell phone book from 1983 to 1984. And I photographed or scanned two pages of the white cloud section. Highlighted uh, in those section is the name of Charles Brown. I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, where did you obtain, obviously that's a photocopy, where did you obtain this phone book? During the course of the investigation, uh, one of the guys, uh, one of the investigators, Detective Mercer, um, had sought anybody that had one in uh, a phone book, and we uh, found one. Um, can't give you the name of the person, but look at the evidence. And uh, you can kind of see it from the from the photocopy. Did it look like a phone book? Yes. Okay. And uh, Your Honor, I'm going to move for the admission of 25. Any objection, Mr. Parson? No, Your Honor. Thank you. Court would admit um, Exhibit 25. And got a little ahead of ourselves there, but you're aware that two phone calls. Uh, we're on that call log that's been admitted to the Gateway Motel, correct? Yes, sir. And what was the first phone number that was uh, was on that log? Or one of the two? Doesn't have to be exact. Yeah, I don't recall which one was first. Uh, I believe it was one to Mr. Snell, but uh, there were two phone calls, one to Charles Brown, um, that number is 689 -6163. This is uh, logged on page 21 of the phone book in evidence. And does the phone book, does that phone listing for Charles Brown with that number have an associated address? It does. It just says East One Mile. Okay. And was there another number that was on the Gateway uh, call log 
that you have marked in that phone book? Yes, sir. That would be number 689-1786 to Roy L. Snell, address of 5811 Baseline Road. And during your investigation, did you determine who that Roy Snell was? Yes, we At did. that address? Yes, we did, sir. And who was that? Maybe Roy Snell Sr. If you could please publish that to the judge, please hand it to the judge. Thank you, sir. The detective, you've worked on cold case investigations before. Yes, sir, I have. And this investigation obviously started in 1983, is that correct? Correct, sir. As part of the cold case investigation over a period of years, is it your practice to re-interview people who have been previously interviewed? Yes. And as part of your investigation, did you interview the defendant regarding this? Yes, I did. Was it your understanding that he had been, and we've heard some testimony, I think you've been in court, that he had been interviewed uh, closer to the time of the event by Detective Miller? Yes. When did you interview the defendant first? And he was interviewed after he was uh, arrested. Um, that would have been in 2020. Uh, attempted an interview in 2000, I recall it was 15 or 16, when I made contact with Mr. Snell in Columbus, Ohio. Let's talk about that one first. Um, why were you in Columbus, Ohio? They obtained a search warrant uh, for Mr. Roy Snell Jr.'s DNA example, uh, buccal swab. Um, so myself and Trooper Watson went to Columbus and with the assistance of the Columbus Police Department located Roy Snell. And uh, was there a copy of the affidavit that you uh, uh, generated uh, with you when you made contact with the defendant? Yes. Did you show him that? I gave him a copy of the search warrant, not the affidavit. Did he indicate that he had read it? Did he read it in front of you? Yes. Okay. Uh, in response to, to reading that, did he make any statements to you? It, it wasn't at that time. As uh, I asked him to come down to the office, he, uh, uh, he was not under arrest and we'd give him a ride back. And he stated that uh, he did know Ricky Atwood and was never with Ricky Atwood. Um, and his DNA would not be uh, in the car. All right. And sometime after his arrest, did you make contact with him? You arrested him? Yes. All right. And did he make any statements uh, regarding this investigation? Yes, he did. What did he say? He, he again said that uh, he was not with uh, uh, Ricky Atwood, nor is he ever been with Ricky Atwood. And did you find this to be uh, what conclusions did you make about those two statements when looking at his original statement to Detective Miller? That was inconsistent with the statement he gave to Detective Miller. It was also inconsistent with the physical evidence um, from the car. At some point uh, in furtherance of your investigation, did, in consultation with the prosecutor, it was a petition for determination of death uh, drafted for uh, submission to the Nuevo County Probate Court. It was. And I'm going to show you people's uh, 26. I'm about to go. I'm about to pass out. 
Mr. Snell, you're going to leave and not be present for your prelim exam? I don't feel good. I feel real, real weak. Really, really weak. I understand that. You've said that. Yeah, so I mean that. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I understand that, sir. Yeah, like I don't care or whatever. This is life and death for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm sick. Not sick with a cold, sick. I got kidney problems and heart problems. Mr. Snow, I understand that, but. I need to go lay down. I do. I would like to know why it is that you think you can't push through and listen, Mr. Snell, again. I feel like passing now. So you want to have us continue the prelim without you present? I mean, I would think that it would be beneficial for you to try to make. It would be beneficial for me to think about my life than this sitting up here with my Mr. Snell. What? what did I ask you about interrupting me? And what I said about my health. My health. Mr. Snell, do you not care what I tell you from the bench? Do you not care that I've asked you not to interrupt me? Do you not care about my life? Why don't you take him back into holding for a minute? <clears throat> I'm going to let Mr. Prysak come back and talk to you. Do you not care about my life? Now, I fully admit that I am not a perfect person. Far from it. As one of my friends will often say, when she is about to do or say something unfortunate and wants to be forgiven for it ahead of time, God is still working on me. I have to admit that I had a really hard time with Roy Snell asking, do you not care about my life? When he, allegedly, and I have to use that word because he's not yet been convicted, but he has got a lot of damn nerve saying, do you not care about my life? When he is accused of shooting Rick Atwood multiple times and then stuffing him into the trunk of his own car. I am having trouble mustering sympathy for Mr. Snell when I wholeheartedly believe he did what he is being accused of doing. Kidney issues or not, and yes, he needs to be treated fairly, but his comments are gross. Anyway, the judge came back to the stand a few minutes later after the interrupted proceedings. Back on the record in the matter of the people of the state of Michigan versus Roy Snell, uh, file number 20889FY. We took a brief recess so that Mr. Prysak could speak to his client. His client is not feeling well, uh, had some medical uh, procedures done this morning, uh, which he also had done on Tuesday. Uh, it was the court's uh, hope that he would uh, be able to start feeling better and, and we would be able to proceed today. He has indicated to the court that he does not uh, feel he can proceed today. I asked Mr. Prysak to take a moment uh, to speak to him to see if maybe uh, he could lie down for a little while uh, and we could take some uh, a recess or if uh, he just did not believe he could proceed today. Mr. Prysak, did you have an opportunity to speak to him? I did, Judge, and it seems to me from the conversation that he is in distress. Uh, he said he's having trouble breathing. Uh, he's feeling weak, feels like he may pass out. And I'm not convinced that uh, I mean, the court wants him to go back to the cell and, and check in a half hour, but I'm not convinced that it's going to make a difference today, Judge. Uh, usually his dialysis goes uh, forward without a, a hitch, uh, and he's usually feeling better. Uh, for some reason today, uh, there was a, a um, the procedure didn't go as they usually do. 
said he thought they extracted too many fluids, he got dizzy, uh, they kept him there longer, then they finally released him back to the jail and said he felt like he was going to pass out. Uh, and they had to put more fluids back into him and he's still not up to par. That's the best I can tell the court. If the court wants to bring him out and inquire, I'm sure you can verify what I just said. Uh, so with that in mind, Judge, I, I leave it to the court's discretion and would defer to uh, counsel, but I'm convinced that he, he can't go forward. All right, counsel, uh, in light of that, I think it's a, an important uh, proceeding that he needs to be present for. Um, I would uh, propose that we adjourn for the day. It's two o'clock. My guess is that uh, it will take him some time to feel better. Uh, my guess is that wearing the mask all the time probably doesn't help him being able to catch his breath or, or fight the nausea. Uh, Mr. Stay, any response? Um, no, Your Honor. Obviously, I have no way of determining how he actually feels. I think the court has made an appropriate inquiry. I think Mr. Prysock has made an appropriate inquiry. Um, I know the court had tomorrow set, but I, I would ask that these witnesses, which I believe will take on the order of maybe two hours, um, just be added to our other person's time. Um, and we have one person here who has come, uh, who we may attempt to do by video conference, but I do not believe we'll be able to bring these all these witnesses tomorrow. I would ask that it be put on that other date. And again, to give the court some parameters, I believe um, the total testimony between the four witnesses then that we recall, including the individual from Tennessee would probably be um, somewhere between three and four hours. All right. And I, and I guess, Judge too, if I may, I, I, I think that the court's correct in that this is not one of those circumstances where uh, you could order that he is, for example, disruptive and uh, ask him and give him the admonishments as you, as you did once before and then proceed without him. Uh, I think illness doesn't fall into the, those parameters and I discussed it with the uh, Council here, and I think we're in agreement that, that the illness is not right. And, and it's clear to this court, and we all know this, uh, he has, he does have significant medical issues, and he has been uh, receiving treatment since he's been in our jail and actually before he came to our jail. So uh, I believe uh, him when he says uh, he doesn't feel well. The court's concern was that he didn't feel well yesterday or the day before, and we were able to proceed. But again, uh, I believe that Mr. Prysex talked to him, and uh, I don't want to proceed without him. Uh, so I, I will adjourn today's proceedings. My thought would be that we try to schedule it on uh, a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, which is not a dialysis day, which would hopefully alleviate the possibility that um, that he would not be feeling well again. Uh, so. It was decided that the two witnesses that were scheduled for the rest of the day would be bumped to the next day of court proceedings, and they would do them all in one day, which would essentially be day four, the final day of preliminary hearings. So in the next episode, we will pick up with the rest of Detective Sergeant Rios' testimony. Dr. Stephen Cole, a forensic pathologist, will also testify, along with Katie Meredith, a forensic biologist from the Michigan State Police Crime Lab, who will discuss the DNA information. And finally, you will hear from Nolan Gant, a prisoner who was housed in the Kent County Jail in a cell next to Roy Snell Jr., who apparently told him all about killing a white dude, including details that pretty convincingly corroborate the fact that the dude in question was Rick Atwood. Stay tuned. <laughs>